had the privilege to start a new series with you last week. Um, if you're new here for the first time, I apologize that you missed the first part of this. It's online and you can hear that, but thank you for coming and, and we're just so glad you're here. Um, this new series has been great. I've heard a lot of good things and um, it's really, really simple. It's can I ask that? That, that, that concept of, of um, is that question something I can, I can ask or will I be... Uh, overwhelmed by people who are angry with me that I ask that. Uh, very much so, church can become a place where sometimes we, we get together and we have a great time, but, but we're not always free to share our, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our doubts. And that, this needs to be a place we do do that. This needs to be a place where we are real with each other. And so that's why we started this series, Can I Ask That? Um, and it's really just eight really hard, tough questions that, uh, that are about God and faith and different things like that. And the, actually, the first week, last week, we started with that question, can I trust the Bible? It's a very basic question, but I think it's something that we all have asked at one time in our life, can I trust the Bible? And today, we have a very similar question. It still deals with the Bible, but is the Bible contradictory? Does the Bible contradict itself? And so I feel like there's some good stuff that we can look at in this, but ultimately, let me just say, if at the end of the day, we ask that question and we just walk away with some facts in our back pocket that we can pull out in an argument or a debate, I think we've missed it. I think a lot of times we've taken Christianity and we've relegated it to the corner of, we're right, they're wrong. Do, do you know what I mean? As if Christianity is about just the right answer in a tough question or a tough lifestyle setting, or whatever it might be at work. And, and we forget the living, breathing God, Jesus, that wants to walk with us every day. And that it's not just a question that we might have, but it's, a, it's an answer to maybe, maybe our day-to-day where we're struggling. Maybe our day-to-day where we're having a tough time. And that's why that first part that we looked at was the maps with Can I Trust the Bible? We looked at the uh, manuscripts, the archaeology, the prophecy, and the Spirit of God. All these things that just kind of fit together, which are great, that prove or show that you know we can trust the Bible. But more importantly, going back to what I just asked, is can I, do I actually trust the Bible in my life every day? What does that look like? When, when, when my boss comes to me and says to do some things that maybe aren't exactly right, or my kids come home and there's a really tough question and, and, and a really even harder response that I have to say, but I don't really like what the Bible says at this time and I don't know if I should trust it in this time. You see what I'm saying? There, there's, there's issues that we face that the Bible is pretty clear on. And we can say we trust it, but do we live as we trust it? And that's what we really looked at last week. As I've said, the last thing we want to do is come to church on Sunday and just cheer for Jesus and hold up a big foam finger that says he's number one. We don't want to just do that and then go home. You see, if if you're taking notes, Jesus never called us to be his fans. He called us to be his followers. That's right. See, the the truth is sometimes we, we can accumulate a lot of fans but not a lot of followers. 
And that's what we want to look at through this series. It's not just answering some questions so you guys can go home with some good facts. Where you can sit back and get a bigger foam finger and say, look how, look how true it is, or look how right it is, or look how good it is. No, we want to get you off the seat and down into the game and be a follower of Christ. True and blue. Especially in those situations that are tough, where we have to live it out. As these answers are lived out in our day-to-day life. And so today, again, we're going to look at the Bible, but it's that second question, does the Bible contradict itself? And so every week we try to have a take-home truth that you can easily remember and that helps to just center this whole message and this whole week around it. And it goes simply like this. The Bible has consistently or has been consistently confirmed. It doesn't contradict itself. It's been consistently confirmed. But like I said, we're going to look at this a little tougher. And has it been consistently confirmed in your life? Yesterday, last week, and throughout. So what I'd like to do is take you to a passage in the Bible that doesn't look like it actually fits with this week. Is that okay? Alright, so stand on up and let's go ahead and read God's Word. But it will play into it, I promise. It's out of Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 37. And Jesus... It's all what was going on with Jesus right here with some Pharisees. And it says this in verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Now all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub or Satan, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts. And so he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. See, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub or Satan, by whom do you people drive them out, or your people? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder the house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Okay, you may be seated. Um, as I said, this, this verse looks a little... Um, well, like, how does this passage really go along with what we're talking about if the Bible contradicts itself? Well, we'll get to that. But first and foremost, I think we need to start with a really simple aspect of understanding what a true contradiction is. Because one of the issues we really suffer with is, is we're so inundated with language and inundated with meanings that sometimes we forget what the real meaning is of the words we use. You, you ever been there? I know I have. I've been called out many times. I, I talk a lot. And sometimes people come to me and go, I don't think you understand what that truly means. Um, as uh, the Princess Bride, you've been using that word and I don't think you understand what it means. <laughs> I, think that, I think sometimes we can get caught in that. Um, a good analogy, of, or actually a good story of this, uh, I, I love the theologian and apologeticist um, Dr. R.C. Sproul. Uh, Sproul is one of my uh, mentors, quote-unquote. He doesn't know me, but I've read a lot of his books and I love his stuff. He's really good. And, and he tells a point that really illustrates this idea of what a contradiction is. See, he was teaching an apologetics class of a bunch of top-notch, brilliant students in Ph.D.-level work. And he looked over the crowd of students that were all in his room, 
of which included the dean of the very prestigious school that he was at. And he said very much so in hushed tones, this piece of chalk is not a piece of chalk. And he set it down. Now everyone in there, you know, kind of beard stroker sat there. You know, here's the prestigious apologetist. You know, he's telling his thing. He's saying this. What what is he saying? What is this? And and they they weighed what he said and they, they tried to explain it. And of course, it started with the valedictorian first. The valedictorian stood up and said, well, what I think you mean by that, and very much so tried to, you know, talk about what he meant by this chalk not being a piece of chalk. And Dr. R.C. Sproul said, no, no, you have it wrong. And then throughout every single person and and he started to get frustrated finally the dean of the school said well I think this is what you mean by it and weighed in with his weighty response all very academic all very philosophical all very almost non-understandable I guess you could say (laughs) to a lot of people like you and me Um, and finally he got frustrated Dr. Sproul just got frustrated and he, he pointed to one of the brightest students in his class in the front row who'd been squirming in his chair the whole time, Bishop Walters of the African Methodist Episcopal Church of Pennsylvania, who had grown up on the tough streets of Philadelphia, one of the toughest streets in the U.S., in the poorest area of the U.S. And Dr. Sproul called on him saying, Bishop Walters, please make sense of this statement. This piece of chalk is not a piece of chalk. Bishop Walters finally threw his hands up in the air after much squirming and said, Man, I can't make sense about that bit of jazz. (laughs) Finally, R.C. Sproul, he smiled, but he said, You know what? Thank God there is one rationally intelligent person left in this room. You see, because what R.C. Sproul did was purposefully break the law of non-contradiction. He broke the law of contradiction. Why did he do that? He wanted to make a point. Because very much so, in this world, you will approach people or people will approach you or you'll see them, and we see this all the time with politics and school and even friends, and in very hushed tones, they'll make a very dogmatic assertion that the Bible can't be true because it contradicts itself. And we just go, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. See, in classical logic, the law of contradiction or the law of non-contradiction is simple. It states that a contradictory statement or contradictory statements cannot both be true and in the same sense at the same time. In in simplistic terms, you, you can't have this be a piece of chalk and not be a piece of chalk. And yet we do this a lot. There's a lot of contradiction. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to point this out to three things of why the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And yet many people think it does. And so that's what I want to point you to is some of the facts. First, we must distinguish between contradiction or a contradiction and difference. You see, there's a lot of passages that seem contradictory in the Bible, but they're not. They're just different. Let me explain. Matthew 27.5 says that Judas went out and hung himself. But Acts 1.8 says that he fell to the ground and burst wide open. And so many people have said, see... Did he either hang himself, or did he burst wide open? Did he fall from a height and die, or did he die from hanging? See, these are different accounts, but they're not a contradiction. A contradiction would be one passage saying, Judas hung himself and he died, and the other one would say, he fell to the ground and he died. 
That's not it. You see, in the Bible, it could be that he hung himself in a high tree and then the rope snapped and he fell headlong and burst all over the ground. You see, sometimes it's different, but it's not a contradiction. So we need to understand that. Secondly, we must follow or allow for flexibility within the language of the Bible. Language is flexible. And each culture has a different standard of how language works. See, let me explain this. This is one way to explain it. Uh, Just a few, some of these actually were less than 100 years ago, but uh, some of these words were different. Let me, uh, you guys know the word nice? We use that a lot. Oh, that's a nice car, that's a nice person. It used to mean silly, foolish, or simple. So if you said someone was kind of silly or not all there, you'd say he's nice or she's nice. Right? How about the word fizzle? The verb fizzle once referred to the act of producing quiet flatulence. Think of SPD, right? Oh, he fizzled, (laughs) right? That's the idea. Now we use it a lot for other things. So don't fizzle today, okay? People are sitting next to you. Clue. What's a clue? Centuries ago, a clue was a ball of yarn. Naughty. There's a word, right? Long ago, if you were naughty, you had naught or nothing. You don't have anything. You're naughty. You say that today, people are like, what? I'm not naughty, right? This is my favorite. Saved it for last. Hussy. Now, husbands, don't turn to your wives. And I say that because before, hussy was a derivative of housewife. So if you were just a housewife, you were a hussy. (laughs) Yeah, right? Some of these are interesting. I mean, it's just the way it is. Words change. And sometimes the meanings we put behind them today isn't the word or the meaning that was it was yesterday. See, the Bible is written in narrative and in poetry, highly imaginative genre. It contains metaphors, prophecies, parables, and sometimes uses hyperbole to overstate and make a point. See, in Matthew 5, Jesus makes a really good point. He says, hey, um, if, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it, throw it away from you. I, I'm noticing not a lot of you take the Bible seriously. You have eyes. Some of you <laughs> haven't torn your eyes out, right? See, obviously Jesus is not endorsing self-mutilation here. But he's using hyperbole. He's being flexible with the language. And many times I find people who have a problem with the Bible or who say it's contradictory are really just not understanding the flexibility of the language. Last, third and finally, we we don't need to have an answer for every apparent contradiction. Yeah, it's true. There are certainly passages, passages that seem like they contradict themselves. And we don't always have the most perfect answer for it. But maybe we just don't have it yet. And this has happened many times. They're still finding stuff all over the place, archaeologically, that are proving that it's not a contradiction anymore. For instance, for the longest time, critics used to laugh at Daniel 5.1, where they said it was a blatant error and it contradicted itself, because um, their their, uh, historians knew about Nabonidus, and... uh, the Bible says that Belshazzar was the king in Babylon. But um, not Nabonidus, who all historians said it was. That is until archaeologists discovered an inscription known as the Persian verse account of Nabon- uh, Nab- sorry, Nabonidus. It's hard to speak ancient Babylonian. Uh, where it says that Nabonidus went away for a long journey during the time and left the kingdom in the hands of you know what, or you know who, Belshazzar. 
And this was a huge issue for a long time. See, sometimes an apparent contradiction is just that. Apparent, but not actual. And we have to understand that God is at work in His Word. He, we, we, we talked about last week how it's true. If it's true, then it can't contradict Himself. I love that last song we sang. It talks about the immutability of God. God doesn't change. God is unchangeable. We change all the time. You see, we can be a walking contradiction. You ever been there? I know I have. I've said one thing and I've done another. That's what people do. That's what we do. And so we just attribute that to God and His Word. But God is immutable. God does not change. He doesn't need to change because He doesn't contradict Himself. See, the truth is that the Bible has been consistently confirmed. Now, we could go into a lot of other stuff, but I think we're not here to argue some points so that you can go home again and have a bunch of good things that you can argue with somebody else about. That's not the idea. There's a deeper question that needs to be addressed, and it's more personal. And and it goes something like this. Do you live a life of contradiction, or are you consistently confirming Jesus. See, at the end of the day, it's easy to point fingers, isn't it? I'm a good finger pointer. My kids know that. They drive with me when I'm driving. This is half the reason why my wife drives and I don't when we're together, you know, because we stay out of arguments. It's just helpful. Um, But when I'm driving, man, if somebody does something that's not right, I point it out all the time. What are you doing? That's not a good... What are you... Whoa, look at that. And I'll say something. I'm very verbal about it. My kids are like, Dad, come on. But I do it. I, I always apologize later. Guys, I don't want you to think that... You know, I apologize. And I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting better. But the funny thing is, sometimes I do the exact same thing they just did. Maybe the next day. And it doesn't come around going, Man, and I don't sit there and ponder it deeply as... Oh, I did the same thing that that person... No, I just walk on. I go, oh, man. See, we contradict... Even the things we can't stand, sometimes we do that. We can contradict ourselves. So the question has to come back to, are we really living life? Confirming Jesus, not being contradictory, being holistic, or are we living a life of contradiction? This is where our passage comes in. Again, I want to point back to it in the book of Matthew, verse 22. I love this. It says, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, so they bring this guy who's really jacked up to Jesus. And Jesus heals him, does something that no one else can do. Totally not a human thing. Totally an other God thing. And in verse 23, it says, All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? See, the interesting thing is, these are the Jewish people, and for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they have been waiting for the Messiah. They've been looking. They knew the scriptures. They had gone to synagogue every day. That was their school. Your average Jewish boy, by the time they were 13, had the whole Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot of pages. That's a, that's a good education. I mean, they were adapt to what the scriptures said. And they were looking. They were looking in God's word to see God's word fulfilled. They were looking for the confirmation of the Bible. And so here they are, looking at this guy that seems legit. It's not just a guy. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's legit. Is he legit? The son of David. 
They're using an actual uh, 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 concept of, you know, this, this concept of the son of David that's in the Old Testament that shows the Messiah because they know it. And they're all looking. Or is he just another one of those hypocrites? Because see, in that day, there was a lot of would-be messiahs. A lot of people that claimed they were messiahs. A lot of people that claimed they were sent or were God. Sent by or were God. And here we have Jesus, and they're really rubbing their, their, you know, their, their beards, and they're sitting there going, hmm. See, the people then were asking the same question as we do today. Does God's word contradict itself? Because here's this Galilean carpenter from Galilee. That's like the ghetto, right? From the ghetto. He doesn't fit the religious list. He doesn't fit the idea of what they were taught or what they, what they saw. I mean, does he fit? It doesn't seem like he fits. How can Jesus be the promised one, the word, as John the Baptist proclaims in John 1? Even Philip, I love this, because the Bible is so real, isn't it? It doesn't sugarcoat anything. Even Philip, one of his disciples, says, Oh, nothing good can come from Galilee. I doubt you've found the Messiah. That's why the religious elites of the day question Jesus himself. See, in verse 24, it says, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Satan, or Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. See, here are people who really know the Old Testament. I mean, these guys, the Pharisees, they were the elite. They were the ones that were supposed to know. I mean, these are the ones that not only had the Torah, the first five books of them memorized, but they had the whole thing memorized, from the prophets, major and minor, to the song of Solomon to the Psalms. I mean, they had it all memorized. And they, they, they knew the Mishnah backwards and forwards. They knew all the commentary. They had that memorized too. And they were the elite of the elite, picked by the best to be the best. The ones that are on the lookout, the ones that are put up in the lighthouse to see the ships of God passing by to say, that's it, that's the one. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to be. And yet here's Jesus right in front of them performing miracles that only the Messiah could do. Fulfilling scripture, living perfectly and challenging them with the exact Bible, the scripture they had memorized. And they still wouldn't confirm Jesus in their life. See, he doesn't fit. He's so different. He doesn't use our language. He doesn't answer in our way. I love Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus... I never knew. Because <laughs> here's a man of God, Philip Yancey, who's gone through much, written a lot of books on Jesus. And he says, if I'm honest with myself, I probably would have been a Pharisee type back in the day, consider myself a really good guy. And I would have looked at this Jesus who looked so different than what the Scriptures, I thought the Scriptures would be. And here you have these Pharisees basically say in hushed tones, this Messiah is not a Messiah. For see, it's only Satan that is driving out demons. I love what Jesus does. He points out the law of contradiction to them. They contradict themselves in their own life and Jesus calls them on it. In verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can a kingdom stand? He's just making a simple contradictory point. He's saying, you guys are contradicting yourself and you don't even know it. This is true. And yet you're looking at it and you're contradicting yourself. Why would Satan attack himself? 
They said they confirmed the Bible, but it wasn't confirmed in their life when they saw the living word Jesus standing right in front of them. He shows them their own contradiction and calls them out in verse 30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, Jesus always gets to the heart of the issue. It's one thing to be confronted with the facts. It's a whole other thing to be confronted with, are you going to follow me? The truth is that we will either live a life confirming Jesus or a life of contradiction. See, we were created by a loving God to confirm this love to all, but instead of gathering with God, we find that it's easier easier to scatter for ourselves. This is why the Pharisees were doing what they were doing. Because instead of confirming the truth of the scripture that stood right before them, they didn't like how it fit against their life. And so they scattered for themselves. And they decided not to gather with God. Jesus didn't fit into their life in the midst of their circumstances. So they lived a life of contradiction. This is where we need to pause. Again, it's easy to point at other people in their contradiction. Again, it's easy to say, yeah, but that guy over there, you talk about, or this person over here. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. But do you contradict the Bible in your own life? We need to look internally. We need to look at our calendars, at our schedules, at the the days we've had before. Have you gathered with God this last week or were you scattering for yourself? See, it's easy to pick up this book and be a fan of it. It's easy to, to see Jesus and be a fan of Jesus, but he does look at every single one of us and he says, it's time to stop looking and sitting, and it's time to get up and be a follower. Are you going to confirm it in your life? See, your career that you've been working on for so long has just faded away with a pink slip, or your kids that for so long were loving church and seemed to really have a relationship with Jesus now seem to be living completely opposite than how you raised them. Your spouse, who is the epitome of health, just got the diagnosis of cancer, and you both are wondering. You see, this is real life. It's one thing to come in and say, rah, rah, rah. It's another thing to be on the field and following Jesus in the midst of the hard stuff. Every day we have an opportunity to gather with Him and confirm Jesus as truly King of Kings, or we can scatter for ourselves and live a life of contradiction. You got that pink slip, and your career was so much. But you know that God has you. You know that Jesus truly did mean it in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11, when he says, or I'm sorry, 11 through 12, when he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. See, that's the scripture. That's the Bible that doesn't contradict. Are you confirming it in your life? So you give it to him, you pray, and your spouse and you, you go to a grow group and you lift up your fears and your anxieties and you pray some more and you look at that scripture and you go, God, I know that it's true and I know you don't contradict yourself, but I'm feeling it because i got to pay bills. And you pray, not just for a new job, but for another opportunity to confirm Jesus in whatever you do or wherever he sends you. 
How about your kids? They've walked away, maybe. And your heart is broken for them. Every time you look at Facebook or Instagram, it's just another glaring reminder that they're doing something they probably shouldn't. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's family members. You did your best. You know that you love them and showed them Jesus as much as you could and they are in His hands now, but your fear and anxiety seem to crop up every second, every day when you see it. I promise you, start chewing on Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, He says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Sorry, I get a little emotional sometimes. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's another thing to go through life, get hit, get covered with it, and look to God's Word, which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. See, the anger is real. I mean, cancer, my husband is so healthy. But instead of going down the path of self and scattering, you take this opportunity to gather with God. Your marriage takes on a whole new level of deepness as you deal with sickness like you never have. It hurts every day to see him in pain. But you're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Jesus reminds you both, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. God didn't just give us his word to be words on a page that we put on a shelf once a week to take down and come to church and look at. His words are active. They're not only true, but they confirm the reality of a new reality, the new creation that we can have in Christ Jesus. My hope is that you are looking at it and it is not only looking at you, but playing itself through you and transforming you as only God's word can. Where in your life do you need the true word? See, like I said in earlier, John 1, Jesus is the word. Where do you need Jesus? Where do you need his truth in your life? Do me a favor, just if you get right where you're at, just close your eyes and and bow your heads. Take this time to just really meditate on this. It's one thing, again, like I said, to look at other people, but where in your own self? Because if we walk out of here and we're the same, then we're not looking at the God that is all about life and change. See, he took Ezekiel up to the, the mountain and he, he looked out over a field of death and dry bones and, and just neglect a field of past mistakes. And he showed Ezekiel that even with that, his word which comes out of his mouth creates life and gave life to death. See, that same life 
that gave life to the dry bones, the same breath Jesus breathed on his people, breathed on his disciples. He breathes on us today. But we need to take it seriously. Are you gathering with Jesus and confirming him or are you scattering more of yourself and struggling in contradiction? I want to give you some time right now. Just take this time to look at your at yesterday, at the week before. And this isn't the gloom and doom time of looking at all your hurts and problems and issues and struggles. And But I really want you to look at this in such a way where you're saying, God, where have I scattered for myself? When I was hit with situations, I was hit with life, I was hit with job, relationship, whatever it is, where did I scatter for myself? Because that's the truth. I'll tell you right now, I scatter with that. This is a new church. And every day, I, I woke up at 4 a.m. today. Couldn't go back to sleep because I was worried. I'm worried about life. I just am. I'm a champion warrior. And I got a chance. I'm sitting there in my bed and I'm going, okay, God, here I am. And I get angry because things don't go my way. Jesus isn't the Jesus I thought he should be. <laughs> what do you know? He's God. I'm not. Every chance I get, I try to tell him I could do a better job. <laughs> but I really can't. And so what I did is I sat there and I said, How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits at the feet of the scoffer, or stands in the congregation of the sinner. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night. And this scripture... His word is changing me. I'm not perfect, but God's word is. Where is it confirming in your life the contradictions that you have? I know I have them. Lord, we just come before you as people who aren't perfect, as people who need a Savior, the Son of David. We've heard all the mixed up logic and arguments of the world. And we ourselves struggle. But we know you never change. And your word is true. Help us to see in our life where we can confirm you. Hold fast to your word. Jesus as he speaks and breathes on the dead things of our life.